0: And when you look at the things that we're going to be talking about this morning out of Luke chapter 7, there are those that, that genuinely appreciate what God has done so that they're willing to commit their lives to Jesus Christ and thus be transformed. And that's exactly what we're looking at. In fact, if I were to look at, at this title, I would actually rearrange it because I, I was, didn't have the time to make it, make it my own. Um, I would say this is the fragrance of forgiveness. And gratefulness is that fragrance of, for, of forgiveness. That's what we're going to be looking at that can transform our lives. And I want to begin by, by looking at part of this passage going on past of what um, Grayson had read for us in Luke chapter 7. I want to pick up in verse 44 and focus in through verse 47. And notice that after giving the parable, and we're going to look at that parable in just a second. I want us to see how she reacted. Because here's, here's the background. This Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus to his home along with other Pharisees that are there. But when he comes, Jesus does, to the house, this woman hears that Jesus is going to be there. And I don't know if she is crashing the party or what, but she is not your typical Pharisee. She's not even a Pharisee. She's not even a male. She's a prostitute. That's the background, um, the historical background. She is, as the Pharisees would call her, a sinner. Someone living in sexual morality. That's the background. In verse 44, Jesus turns to the woman and says to Simon, to the Pharisee who invited him to his home. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he says to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this woman who even, or who is this man who even forgives sins? Then he says to the woman, after he had just said, your sins are forgiven, he says, your faith, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Many times we hear this passage of Scripture, and we talk about how Jesus is able to forgive sins, and that's obviously a very important part of this. But this woman was doing these things before he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. You see, I believe she already believed that, knew that, and was responding to that based upon what we could read earlier in Luke chapter 7. If we go back in the text and we can see some things, we get to see the difference between two people, one who justifies themselves and one who justifies God. And if we go back earlier in the text, we go picking up in... Well, let me just pick up verse 22 following um, in Luke chapter 7. I want you to see what's going on in this text as to why Luke puts this in his gospel account right after what we're just going to read here. Let me back further up into verse 18. The disciples of John reported to him, to John, concerning all these things about what Jesus had been doing. John, calling two of his disciples, said said to him, send them to Jesus, or sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour, he, that is Jesus, cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many, blind, he gave sight. And then Jesus said to them, to the disciples of John the Baptist, He said, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, The dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That last phrase is very key. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. He said, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. But... He who is least in the kingdom of God in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him even the tax collectors and the sinners justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves not having been baptized by him. So I didn't give the whole of this because if we read earlier in Luke's account, many, in fact, in in one of the Gospels it says all Israel came out to be baptized with the baptism of John. All Israel. And if we were to take it literally, that means the Pharisees would have been included. But we know that that's not the case. But what you get is many are flocking to John, hearing the message of John about the coming Messiah. And he was baptizing them this baptism of repentance. And so when the Pharisees came, John the Baptist said, Brutal vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God to come? And then he says to them, I want you to bear fruits worthy of repentance. So when we fast forward to this woman who is now at the Pharisee's house, what we are actually seeing is someone who is bearing fruits worthy of repentance, who is giving up this immoral lifestyle, And is now worshiping Jesus, following Jesus, going to live in such a manner as one who is forgiven. That's where we're at. And the dichotomy that we see are those who religiously knew better. They're called Pharisees among other groups. And these Pharisees refused to be baptized with John's baptism. Even when John is paving the way of the Lord and even as the Lord is quoting back to Malachi and hearing all of these things, they still refuse. In fact, here is John the Baptist though so that when he comes, they mock him. And when Jesus comes along, they mock him. Here is someone who comes not eating and drinking and they tease him for that. They mock him. They ridicule him. And when Jesus, who does come eating and drinking, they mock him on the other end. They call him a wine-bibber and a glutton. Doesn't matter when truth comes, the self-righteous do not listen. They justify themselves. And it's hard to be grateful when that's the case. It's hard for you to have a fragrance, a lifestyle that exudes from you a lifestyle of gratefulness when you're self-righteous that's a problem in the 21st century as it was in the the first. A big problem. Not only are you able to be grateful when you're self-righteous, when there are those that are talking about repenting, because you're self-righteous, you have no need to repent. And remember what Jesus said to another Pharisee? I did not come to heal those who are well, but I came to heal those who are sick. The great physician said, I have come for sinners, not for those who are righteous. And we as Christians in the 21st century, we have the hindsight to read the rest of the New Testament. And we are told there is none righteous. We all fall short of God's glory. Every single one of us in this room. And so to the one who is so morally upright, he is not superior to the one who is weak because of the flesh. The Pharisee was not better than the prostitute. Now, maybe in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God, both are in need of salvation. One for their sexual morality, the other for self-righteousness. They're both sinners. And that's the thing. Unless we believe that God's way is right, and that's literally what Luke is saying in, in the Greek of, of this text here. When, in verse 29, when they justified God, what they're saying is God's way is right. And God's way is right was John saying, I want you to be baptized so that you have the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. This is a baptism of repentance. And so the tax collectors, the sinners, they're coming out, they're being baptized, while the ones who are self-righteous are saying, I don't need to. And there are many that are the same way today. Whether it's with baptism or anything where we do not have God's justification in mind, but our own justification. And so what we have then is the statement found in verse 35, where at the end of the statement that is given of this parable, he says, wisdom's children is that which justifies her. I want to go back now and read that parable, and then we'll come to to understand how this fragrance of forgiveness through our gratefulness is seen in the lives of those who are truly repentant. So I want to pick up. It says over here in verse 31, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what what are they like? And I believe he's talking about the Pharisees, by the way. These Pharisees are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and he says he has a demon. So here they're being called, and they're not responding in like fashion. The prophets would call the people of God, and the people of God would not respond in the right way. The same thing is true of the Pharisees. When John the Baptist is calling them to repent, they're not responding in contextual manner. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house, sat down to eat, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Why would she do that? Why would she come to meet Jesus and bring this alabaster flask of oil? She stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, wipe them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke within himself and said, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You know, we're grown up and we're told not to have this relationship with these sinners. And here is our supposed Messiah, this Man who people are claiming to be a prophet. And he is not only eating with sinners and tax collectors. He's letting this particular sinner do all these things to him. Doesn't he know? Because if he were a true prophet, he would. There's the difference. Do you suppose that while the Messiah came for that Pharisee, That he would recognize who he was because he was eloquent in understanding the word of God. I mean, brethren, we've had Bible classes where we taught. When you are five years old and you're a male, you go to school. And you begin to learn the Torah. You start off with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And you have every word memorized from the age of five to the time you're age ten. These Pharisees, being strict in many aspects of the law of Moses, they would have had it memorized. And then you go further because the best of those students from age 10 up would, re- would memorize the entire of what we today call the Old Testament Scriptures. They would know it inside and out. They could quote it. And brethren, I like to say there are many Christians that can quote a number of Bible passages. But it was not written on his heart. He might have memorized it. But he didn't have it dwelling within him. In the manner that would have caused him to be grateful for the Messiah when he would come. And the repentance he would need before the Messiah. So they could follow him. And not his own self-righteous ways. That's the problem that is here. And the people that Jesus mentions of whom Luke records specifically are the sinners, are the tax collectors. Let me give you the 21st century equivalent are the kids we had camp with. Are the people that we go into the jails to speak to. Are the people who are living in what we would call immoral lifestyles. And you see, if we go further in this recording in Luke chapter 7, Jesus teaches one more lesson that I think is very, very crucial for us to see. And it's more, again, than just book knowledge, but something that should sink deep within each one of us. We go further, and of course, it's not in in this particular text here. Well, it is. Yeah, here it is. I thought it was in another gospel account. He said... In verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. He says, teacher, say it. He says, there's a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Here's a debt that cannot be paid back. 50 denarii, that's less than two months of work. 50 denarii. This guy couldn't pay it back. The next guy is 500 denarii. That's a whole lot more. You might have to go a couple of years of working without having anything to sustain your life or maybe the life of your family, but you can't pay it back. He said he freely forgave them both. And then comes the question. Simon. Simon tell me verse 42 whether which of them would love him more Simon replied and answered and said I suppose the one whom he forgave more the one with the greater debt would love more Jesus answered him and said you have rightly judged now go back to that story here's this man invites Jesus into his home and it was Jewish custom Middle Eastern custom, that when someone comes into your home, you wash them. That's out of hospitality. You wash their feet. He said, I came into your home, you didn't even wash my head. And what she did was, she didn't have a water basin. This is not her home. She used the tears from her eyes, from her her weeping. And probably a weeping of the shame, the guilt of a, in a moral lifestyle. And the fact that here's someone who has freely forgiven her. In being, in being forgiven, these tears could have also been weeping for joy, for the thankfulness, the gratefulness that she'd been forgiven. Whatever these tears are, there's so much of them, she's able to wash his feet. And then she takes her own hair. The glory of her head. And she dries the feet of her Savior. That's the most beautiful statement. Not only does she do that, but the custom of the Jewish hospitality would also take the person who is your guest and you anoint them with oil. That was a way of cleaning them up. You know how we might brush our hair, get ready, the women put on your makeup. The anointing of the head with oil would clean them up. I'm looking at Grayson. Grayson would have that kind of where you slicked and and there you go, you're cleaned up. (laughs) Something like that. Maybe a modern version of that. But that's what the host would do. She gets not just oil, but fragrant oil. And not her head, not his head, but his feet gets anointed. That's how high she views Jesus Christ. There's something about Jesus Christ that she had learned before this day, before that hour, that says she was forgiven. And she was bearing fruits worthy of repentance, and she was showing her adoration, her humility, and her servitude to the one who forgave her sins. And even if, if, if it was not said specifically to her earlier, the fact that John the Baptist was, was preaching the way of repentance Before the coming of the Messiah, she knew who he was, acknowledged who he was, and acknowledged God's justice through Jesus Christ. Brethren, that's the pure and simple gospel for us today. And we either acknowledge God's justice or our own, and either we bow down and we worship him, and that worship exudes from us, it's like the one who sings and sings all to the glory of God. And to the one who does not have that sense of gratefulness. And we just, it just becomes a byword just to have words coming off our tongue. We sang that song, Hosanna. That's praise and adoration for the one who is coming to die for our sins as he entered in Jerusalem on that last week. That's what was taking place. And those that have the fragrance of forgiveness are truly grateful. And we praise him. And we cannot even help but praise him. And there's no sense of being shy because you're overwhelmed with what God has done for you. That's what the love of Christ compels you, 2 Corinthians 5.14, in the life of one who's been forgiven. And understands that their debt is so great it could never have been paid back. But then there's no money value that could have been used. That 500 denarii or whether it's going to be 500 talents or 5,000 talents or if it was a trillion, it would never have been able to be paid back. There's no money value. That's how great our debt is. And yet, by your lifestyle, you prove to be a child of wisdom or not. By the way you reflect. And just as the people acknowledge God's justice by being baptized with the baptism of John, guess what happens today with the baptism of Christ? People justify. And I'm not talking about just getting wet. I'm talking about an answer of a pure conscience in their mind, not of academic knowledge that says, this is what I'm supposed to do to become a Christian, but a, an answer that says, Lord, I can never have paid this debt. And you're telling me I'm freely forgiven by going down into this water and being raised up to walk with you now? Turning away from my lifestyle and my righteousness? My immoral ways? That's the answer of a pure conscience that says, I'm going to walk with you. And it's one of humility, not of arrogance. It's one of love, not indifference or hatred. It's one that says, God, your way is right. Mine isn't. And so I'm going to walk with you. That's what happened. The woman could not contain her gratefulness. That's what we see in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 following. And from verse 44 through 47, here's the response that Jesus gives. Here's what she did. Because she loved much, her sins have been forgiven. That's what he says to Simon. Brethren, in the auditorium class, David has for our quarter this year, the subject matter of love. That's what you see in this woman's life. And that's what should be in our lives. And it should be displayed. Now, this person came up to me today. Our sister in Christ came up to me, and she, I'm sure she doesn't want to, but I cannot help myself. I apologize ahead to my sister for saying this, but it's too overwhelming for me. So I'm going to share it. There's a sister in Christ. I don't know her exact age, but closer to twice my age. <laughs> so it narrows it down to some of the ladies here. She said, Mitch, I'd like to join you and the others by going to the jail and encouraging these young ladies. beautiful, to share the good news with the young women, when some of them are not so young, that are at CDC in Davidson County. And I have made this very clear. Hopefully, maybe, maybe it's not enough, but if not, I want to make it even more clear. Just because you don't go to jail doesn't mean you're not serving the Lord. But it's always encouraging for me to hear that this is one of the ways you want to be involved I just want to break down and cry. Just kiss her on the neck. Because the fragrance of forgiveness compels us. The love of Christ compels us to share good news. With people that need the forgiveness of their sins. They need to know Jesus came to die on the cross to freely forgive. That's why it's a gift. Brethren, whether, whether it's that or your neighbor in your subdivision your co-worker at your workplace whether it's your own family at home wherever and whoever you can serve and minister minister the love of Christ to that's good enough but it's going to show where your heart lies and do you have that fragrance exuding from you when we praise our God when we pray to our God When we study his word, when we talk about him, it should be nothing but adoration for him and reverence for his lordship. That's the fragrance that you exude because you've been forgiven. Now, if some of you are saying, well, that's just not me. And I've been a Christian for many years. Repent. That's what this is for. (laughs) This story is for the righteous, the self-righteous to repent. Repent. So it's for, for Christians even who have obeyed the gospel. And for those that know that if you're washed in the blood of Jesus, that you're dying to yourself, that you can walk in the of life, you can let everyone know that you acknowledge God's justice, that he freely forgave you of your sins. And now you can anoint him with your life. That's the gospel message That is for you. And if you haven't been washed in the blood of Jesus, if you have not put on Christ in baptism, I urge you to acknowledge God's justice. Don't make up your own. Don't be like the Pharisee. Come to him right now as together we stand and sing the song.